When you kick a ball in the ball boy's face and then act like you're the aggrieved party, it's not so MLS. It's the North American <laughs> Soccer Podcast with myself, Andrew Bates, and Nick Thornton. Hello. Nick, how are you doing? I'm doing better than that fan's nose is doing. Oh my god. Okay, so was it a fan? We are talking about uh, an instance in uh, Sporting Kansas City, New York Red Bulls. 93rd minute, there's no reason it needed to happen. Kaku is behind the play, and somebody yells at him, so he turns. I tried to roll back the footage on this, but it looks like... So a lot of people are calling this a fan. It looks like he blasts one of the pink-shirted ball boys. Like, so, like, I think I can provide some clarity here. Okay. The post-mortem on this incident that I've seen, and I've read a couple of sources now, is... Kaku is turns around to scream at one of his players, one of his teammates, who has missed him with the pass. Yes. Hasn't, hasn't picked him out. And out of frustration, it he blasts the ball at close range, which some of his teammates are saying was aimed at the um, like the advertising boards. However, it blasts into the face of one of the fans instead. Who ends up with a bloody nose? So it does catch a fan, and not the and not the the poor uh, attendant. Oh yeah, it catches a fan because afterwards, after Kaku gets very rightly sent off, um, the entire Red Bulls team goes over, climbs over the boards to apologize to the fan and make sure he's okay. <laughs> Which was a nice gesture, but I feel like is also kind of the bare minimum given the circumstances. But just. Like, if it wasn't such a violent, stupid thing to do at the end of a game, would be funny. But it's just such a, like, shockingly stupid and unacceptable thing to do. And I, I looked, and it lo- looks like there's been no further action taken so far. So a struggling Red Bulls will be without one of their best players in the next match. I wouldn't be surprised if at least one more game is added on to this, plus definitely a find there. I mean, Kaku has since apologized, but it's just, you know, a player apologizing and saying it's part of the passion is like, we've seen some players have passionate moments and do some stupid things. And this is right up there with the dumbest. Uh, I am nine days uh, uh, removed from attending a wrestling show that contained a, that's a lawsuit chant. So, uh, so I feel like, you know, we're, we're continuing we're continuing the great crowd decisions uh, with this one. Yeah, it's just it was a... it's stupid on so many levels, and and Kaku's just seemed to be one of those players that just really has a hard time controlling himself. Um, and it's one thing to take out your frustration like that, but whether you're aiming for the advertising boards or not, you're putting you're endangering fan safety with that, and. Uh, there's just, you know, there's so many other things that you could have done in that moment. And it's even, and especially his reaction afterwards to then start fighting with sporting Kansas players who come over rightfully. So it's just, Mm -hmm. it's, it's gotta be one, one of the stupidest things I've ever seen an MLS player do. (laughs) That's some tough competition Kaku's up against. We've seen, uh, supporters, 
uh, you know, stay with their clubs through through thick and thin. But I've never quite seen a team like of actual soccer players mobilize so quickly to defend one of their supporters, which was yeah. which was an interesting yeah. which was an interesting like sort of emotional reciprocation. Absolutely, and I I I would expect that probably under most circumstances, most teams would have done the same thing, but. It's no secret also that the Sporting Kansas City fans are rabid and their players care as much about their fans as their fans do about them. I mean, that's a pretty tight relationship. And if, you know, if we're heaping reasons for the stupidity on Kaku's shoulders, I would say another one is, I mean, probably if you're going to do that kind of thing to a supporters group, Sporting Kansas City fans are not the ones to be doing it with. No, absolutely not. It was uh, a pretty entertaining weekend, I'd say. There was a lot of good stuff. Um, it was, the... yeah, it was a good old-fashioned MLS weekend of a few uh, pretty predictable results, a few surprises, and a few just sort of games where you have to shrug your shoulders and go, goals were scored, a game was played. <laughs> Sometimes, in, in in we talked a little bit last week about, you know, two two great teams compete and they don't score anything to two okay teams compete and they score a basket of goals because the, the, the defense is mismatched. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that there were some of those this week as well that, that were like ones where you saw a bunch of goals scored, but it didn't necessarily tell you anything new about the teams involved. Agreed. And I would kind of stack this Sporting Kansas City game in that group. I don't know if you would agree, but... I didn't think the Red Bulls would stay uh, as poor as they've been for long, and this showed them to have a little bit of um, a little bit of fight to keep themselves in this one and get a point against a very good Sporting Kansas City side. Um, what are your thoughts? I uh, I definitely tracked this game in terms of uh, recent tough results. For uh, New York Red Bulls last year, last week we asked ourselves like, how did they get so like this is this is the level they've been performing at is just not the level that we expect um, of a team that has had this quality in the past. Uh, with the Red Bulls, uh, two wins in their two wins in their last six, but the last three all losses. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of. In losses where they didn't really seem to have a lot sort of going on. So I saw this as being like sort of a, a frustrating, but a, a frustrating out, uh, outing for New York, but it made progress. This, this, the progress you can kind of see by like they score a goal early on and they think, ah, we've done it. We are that attacking team again, but then the goal is called offside. Mm-hmm. Um, Russell uh, Russell scores basically almost just by running into the box. <laughs> yeah, just 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 uh, just with a, a super fleet foot run. It, it should be noted that's a tight angle to score from and just a great work rate as we're used to seeing from Russell. But I also put here that like New York Red Bulls just sort of decide they're going to watch him do it. Yeah, yeah, it's true because it's like, um, and there were a few of this. There were a few at this point, but it's like. Um, this Royer thing is is an, an opposite example from a, a different de- uh, defense where a player where teams are defensively lax on a player because they don't look in a dangerous position. 
mm-hmm. but just that laxness is what creates the danger, and that's uh, Royer's tying goal. Yeah, and initially I kind of thought that it was a bit of a mistake from Melia, but uh, on watching it again, I, I don't think Melia has a lot of choice but to come out of his goal and try to basically act as a sweeper and try to cut down the angle. But that means that Royer lets him commit, as he's done with many goalkeepers, and just slides easily around him and slots home an easy goal. But I agree that it's Sporting Kansas City not taking the threat seriously, and a play that kind of was nothing all of a sudden turns into Daniel Royer just able to jog the ball past um, Timelia and sort of calmly slot it in. Yeah. And, and there then, you know, uh, the game ends 2-2 with uh, 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 Sporting Kansas City tied up with the far post goal. I kind of, because New York got the lead and let the lead go, I, I do consider this one kind of that they let go, even though they it could have been even worse for them, mm-hmm. um, which is where I say the frustration comes in. And you certainly see the frustration with the with the the Kaku craziness um, late on, um, but there is, you know, whatever whatever got into the whatever got into them these last three games, they're doing a little bit better with. Absolutely, um, I'm still seeing Sporting Kansas City get they're getting beaten out in those wide areas. That's something that they've struggled with in a few games now, where. There's just no pressure on the the cross that comes in. I forget which Red Bulls player it is, but Brian White is actually being properly tracked, so it's not the back line's fault. They're all in position, they're all marking properly, and it's a great header from Brian White. But the cross that's coming in, the player's got ages to take it, and there's zero pressure put on it, so he's able to just hit this pinpoint perfect cross. However, when you have a 16-year-old like Busio who can come in and just sort of on the the second ball in, um, just be in the right area and make the quick decision and have the reaction time to score the equalizer. This is gonna this is gonna be where, yes, New York Red Bulls will consider themselves unlucky, and I think they've taken the foot off the gas here. But this is also the sheer force of will that Sporting Kansas City has that can just pop up at times, and the talent that's in a player like Busio. Uh, one game that I think that, that because of the, the 2016 and 2017 MLS Cup Finals is going to be forever marked in people's mm-hmm. minds is, uh, is the, the coming together of Seattle and Toronto. Um, I think that because Toronto had a, such a poor year last year, the stakes came down a little bit uh, just because, you know, they, they uh, I think that the, if I recall, those games were, were not necessarily not entertaining. But it's like, without them, without them being real players, there wasn't really any sense of stakes behind them, and you really feel with with Toronto starting brightly, uh, having a bright start to the season, um, that they that like we're back, we're we're right back in it uh, in terms of this being a uh, a a regular season game that has portents. Absolutely, and I was kind of. I, well, I guess I wouldn't say I was surprised by this one in terms of it being a competitive match, but this is one of those ones I thought would be a bit more, a bit more of a cancelling out like we've seen in some of the regular season meetings where you'd expect maybe a one nothing, maybe a draw, maybe a 2-1 win, but to see five goals in a game I was somewhat surprised by. Um, 
I, I wanted to just go back a, a second to last week because there was a comment I wanted to make that uh, I forgot about last week, which was that after last week's game, Brian Schmetzer was being asked about the work rate and, and just sort of the place of Will Bruin in the Seattle Sounders with the arrival like, of a striker like Rui Diaz. And Schmetzer kind of makes this weird comment that I don't think is untrue and I don't think is unwarranted. I'm just surprised he made the comment at all, where he kind of says, like, I think he's trying to give Will Bruin a compliment because he says, like, he's the kind of player that thinks he's going to be a starter even with a player like Rui Diaz on the team, which kind of comes across <laughs> as just like a, a really backhanded compliment. Like, you know, Will Bruin is clearly... The far, the far inferior player to Rui Diaz, yet he thinks he's going to start. Um, which, I think Will Bruin's a mature enough player to probably have taken that for what it's worth, but certainly showed up with some receipts and got a brace in this game to say, well, <laughs> let me show you what I can do in a game. Oh, absolutely. Um, one of the things that you see, I want to I mention the Toronto goal first, if only because... Uh, we hit, we see another after seeing it so many times uh, in Toronto's last game. Uh, Pozuelo to Altador on the far post mm -hmm. um, for that easy for that uh, for that first that quick goal. We're seeing a lot great interplay between the two players, and then Bruin, his first goal was an almost identical play. I thought <laughs> with so on on a different uh, like mirror image. It was from the different end of the box. Absolutely, yeah. Um... It, it, I w had a similar thought, too, that it was like, whatever uh, Toronto did, Seattle said, well, we can do it, too, and better. But <laughs> it, it was like a mere image. Like, Toronto, it was a fantastic play. Chad Marshall's possibly one of the few centre-backs that can actually mark Altidore properly, but just chooses not to. But take nothing away from the cross into the box and Altidore to be there. But it's a beautiful set-up play. And then, I, I think a few minutes later... Seattle turns around with almost exactly the same play. <laughs> yeah, although no I'd doubt. say Bruin has a little bit more work, work to do. It's not as nice of a cross, and he really has to throw himself in there, sort of like uh, that Van Persie uh, Holland goal that he scored, just throwing himself forward at the ball and having to sort of fly at it. Absolutely. He uh, he. Then I think I'm trying to look up the sheet to find how soon afterwards. Uh, right, though that's in the first half, and then um, early in the second, he gets another. Uh, uh, he gets another one that's not a header goal this time. The ball finds the ball finds his feet. Yeah. And it just shows uh, how good of a player Will Bruin is. That you know, yes, he's probably only good for seven to ten goals a season. However consistently seven to ten goals a season is no small thing and consistently just one of the most overlooked strikers in MLS and this shows the intelligence of Seattle to keep a player like him on board with yes you've got Jordan Morris yes you've got Rui Diaz and this shows why you keep a player like Will Bruin around to uh when you need the depth he can show up and have a big game like this that really um without him there wasn't a ton. I mean, there was definitely chances from Seattle, but you know, Will Bruin was really the difference maker here. I know that sometimes he can't be. He's not the most exciting player. But when I think back to that comment that you say, I don't know that that's a, a lot of respect for a player that Seattle really leaned on last year. 
Absolutely. And that that's what I mean, is that with Morris unexpectedly out for a whole season, I don't think anybody was expecting Bruin to play as many games as he did. And I agree. I mean, he's a straightforward striker. There's nothing sexy or romantic about his style of play. But he's a great, just straight-ahead North American striker that gets the work done. He can score with his head. He can score with his feet. I have always had a lot of time for Will Bruin. And again, I, I'm not necessarily thinking Brian Schmetzer's being disrespectful. I, maybe just overly honest to the media. Um, no. But maybe he's also trying to keep Will Bruin in form and egg him on a little bit. But Will Bruin showed time and time again that he, you know, he seems to just be his own player focusing on his own game regardless of who's in on his squad. You know, there's, like I said, there's truth to Schmetzer's comments. Mm-hmm. Two minutes after Bruin gets this goal, Roldan scores. And in, in, in what I want to highlight is that you would kind of think at this point, Seattle's up 3-1 at home. Uh, now it kind of seems impossible to sort of get back from. But uh, two minutes later, you have this goal from, from Josie, again, uh, ass- assisted by Alejandro Pazuelo, showing, and, and Toronto shows really real fight back in, in sort of the last 20 minutes of this game. Uh, and I wanted to point out, I don't know if he's being marked by uh, Chad Marshall specifically, but we we give a lot of uh, crap to defenders uh, sometimes here in MLS, and the one thing that I liked, uh, one thing that I really liked about this goal, is that actually for like Altador is being covered properly. Yeah. Like yeah. like this is it's weird it's weird that you highlight the defense on a, a goal that was scored, but there was no you know we're we're not looking or we're on the uh, we're a step behind. Um, the defense did its job. It was in the right position, but Altador just had that little bit of extra quality to sneak his foot, the leading edge of his foot uh, uh, ahead. So, so great from Altador, but also like great from Seattle, who did their best. Absolutely. Um, we were looking at. Uh, I was very interested to see. Uh, for the longest time, I thought that Chicago-Vancouver was going to be Vancouver's uh, chance to um, to get that win that had been evading them. Um, this was not that uh, that opportunity, and, and perhaps in a way, uh, in a way, play, like a way to Chicago was not the place. They certainly didn't seem to be ahead of the run of play uh, when there was a a sort of a, a, a whoopsie doodle with. Oust, Oustad and Jordi Reyna. Um, I believe I have here that uh, Oustad is running to try. There's like a cross that's that goes into air. Like he challenges it and it uh, it gets past him. And he keeps running. A defender comes up to take it and he keeps running. He really has to break back and let the defender handle it. Yep. Yeah. Uh, just... Rush of blood to the head, I think it happens. Um, mm-hmm. I know it, it, it's always one of those things that, in hindsight, you, it looks really egregious, but I think Osted just... He's already committed to, to running out there, and also he's got to be careful because he's clearly going to play the ball with his hands, and he actually has to pull back slightly because he realized the ball is outside of the box. So if he handles it outside of the box, he's going to get sent off. And 
he's also just mistimed his run. However, that's where, you know, I don't know if the defender called for it or not, but I agree, you've got to let the defender take that one because Osted takes himself completely out of the game, really, by palming the ball to the feet of Jordi Reyna, who, it should be remarked, also has to score from an incredibly tight angle because he doesn't have much time to take his shot, but makes True. absolutely no mistake and slots it home. And you can see immediately Osted's just thinking... Well, that's not the way I wanted to come out against my former team. That's not how that looked in my head. That's really not how it looked in my head. <laughs> um, now, there, you know, I, I got to, I got the chance to see quite a bit of this. Um, the uh, the key thing with this penalty late, you really wanted to see something come out of it. I think that that. Vancouver was better in the second half, um, but a lot of people are focusing on you know the fact that it's as you uh, as I see in your notes the var the var cup. Yeah, I mean I'll say this: I've yet to see any evidence of it being a handball, so yeah. maybe there's an angle out there in which it is. Um. I think Mark Dos Santos can probably be accept- expecting another phone call from pro referees saying, oh, whoops, yeah, I guess we got that one wrong. Um, uh, and if it's not, then I don't get why you're not showing those angles to the crowd, at least putting it in the highlights so that we can say, oh, okay, well, sure, if I saw that angle, then I guess you got to call it. But I think it's a very, very fortunate penalty for Chicago um, the only thing where I feel like maybe cosmically it makes sense is I thought that Vancouver probably wasn't playing well enough to make this game worth three points to them. They've done very well in games where they can push opponents out wide, um, which forces the teams to, they're facing to take a lot of crosses. And with center backs like Godoy and Henry, that's what you want, right? And they're used to playing this way because they used to do it with... Waston and Parker, and then Waston and Henry of two tall center backs make teams flick it into the air and just head those balls away all day long. Um, that being said, there was still just an awful lot of really sloppy play from the Whitecaps, so it's unfortunate to get punished by a penalty. However, the way they were playing, I felt like a goal was coming anyway. It's just unfortunate that it comes so late in the game and kind of you feel like is a is really a bit of a gift from the heavens to Chicago. Yeah. No, I could, I could see that. I just, uh, it, 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 like, it is a gift to Chicago. I just kind of wish we would have saw a little bit more from Vancouver. I know that it comes really late, yeah. the, the tying goal on 87. You saw our, day, our days hit the post again for, I think, the second street week running. Yeah. Um, it, which which plays into this, this, you know, narrative of there is a lot of promise. But there just has to be results behind it. That being said, this was a draw. We now have two points that we can rub together to start a fight. <laughs> sure. Um, Portland have uh, a Portland went away to Dallas. Mm-hmm. They uh, they lost two one. Um, there was this uh, the, another sort of varish uh, a var play where we keep and in. I swear this isn't just because I love bringing this up in relation to the Canadian 2007 Gold Cup. 
it seems like this year we're having a real referendum on whether or not you're offside when the defender plays the ball. Uh, yeah, I didn't see the game, but I, I mean, I agree with the argument already outside of this result because we've talked about this. Like, what? It was supposed to be clear. The first game it happened, we were like, great. Yes, the rules were clear. It happened. I get players are confused, but you got to be consistent. This is the right use of the rule. And we have not seen it applied consistently since. So the uh, the play here, I don't know exactly who takes it. I don't know who takes the first shot. But essentially, um, a player turns to back pass. The back pass... Um, Pings directly off of the the shins of Portland Portland's Diego Chara, um, and out to Ferreira, who smashes it home uh, on nine minutes. It is immediately disallowed, um, and then VAR has to go through it, and they have to sort of you know look at all the angles and and decide what was intentional and what was not, and it was ruled it was the the goal was restored as it should have been. Mm-hmm. Um, you then have uh, Rito Ziegler scoring on a penalty kick on sixty on, in the sixtieth minute. Uh, Dallas sort of builds themselves uh, builds themselves up. It was like a it's a play where poor Jeff Atnella prevents an own goal, but then uh, the rebound a defender messes with it uh, to to concede a penalty. Um, I think that you see you've seen some positivity from the Timbers' attack, but whatever's happening right now, the defense is just letting them down, and and that was sort of a situation where I felt that Adnella was let down. Um, yeah, it's it's odd for Portland because I I continue to scratch my head a little bit because overall, yeah, you look and they've been playing terribly, but there's been bright points to it, and it's not like they're not scoring any goals. It's just that defensively, it's like they've completely forgotten what. The, the entire notion of it. Uh, and I had it in my notes that it, the one of those positive sort of moments, and I have it in my notes that it was Sebastian Blanco, so I'm just double-checking who actually mm. scores it, is this amazing free kick from the top of the box where it was almost like that one where... Uh, it was almost like that one where, where nothing was... Uh, where Sean Johnson was screened last week, mm. where... It's just all of a sudden nobody's moving and um, Blanco uh, or am I thinking of the, am I thinking of a different yes I'm thinking of a different game sorry um, I, well I was gonna say if <laughs> on that note <laughs> well, Blanco, are we switching no, to is. talking about Sean Johnson scoring an own goal this week <laughs> no I want to talk about that no this is Blanco I was thinking of a different goal. But oh. Blanco uh, finds the, the free Portland runner on the far post yet again. Uh, your favorite part of the pitch. Christian Paredes uh, scores on 67 minutes, but they can't put uh, anything together. And they had already let the game go by that point. The yeah. game was already gone by the time that uh, they had done that. Uh, I had told you that there were two absolute gem moments uh, that I was so happy to witness with my own eyes. Okay. Um, Yes. One of them was the cuckoo thing. Right. And the other was, uh, you know, people in Europe, uh, people who are fans of European soccer can, can, can say that they have all the iconic moments, but uh, and everybody can always talk about Paul Robinson uh, with the ball bouncing on, over his, his feet at Euro, uh, playing for England. 
this Sean Johnson own goal. It's a first of all, it's an own goal from a New York City defender. And Sean, I, what is what is he doing? Okay. How does he get this okay. wrong? Okay. Now, before we go too far, because I don't know if any of my teammates might listen to this, so I'm just going to add, I might have made my similar own goal that I scored uh, about a month and a half ago. (laughs) Might have have been from a throw-in from one of my defenders. So, I'm just going to say, I'm not going to throw any stones in glass houses. Mistakes happen. But it was real, real bad. It was bad. Um, there was also a big mistake from Manone. Um, however, he sort of saved the blushes because the New York goal is then ruled handball. This was, uh, Minnesota's, the, the first new game of, of Minnesota's new Allianz field. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Um, uh, Ozzy Alonso gets the first goal 14 minutes in on a, a, a header, which is really, I think, uh, it's the, you know he collects a headed clearance, is what happens. The a defender a defender tries to clear it with the head and um, and it it drops to him. This is exactly how you want to open a stadium. I wonder if if it's better or for worse that it took so long for this moment to happen. Would it be would it have been if if the stadium opened in Minnesota's first year? When they were awful, like, yeah. I'm gonna go ahead and say the timing is probably just about right. Give your team uh, a couple of seasons to sort themselves out and just utterly collapse and and really suffer. And then once you start to iron out some of the kinks and show what you're capable of, that's when you want to open a new stadium. I mean, not everybody can be DC United. I think the timing is. Is just fine, but they I don't think they were maybe expecting four goals in 20 minutes to mark the opening. <laughs> That's absolutely true. There's so much, so much happened so early uh, in this game before it sort of uh, it's molten uh, heat cooled into uh, solid steel. Uh, you had another giveaway. I've been noticing this a lot, especially um, halfway the. Uh, uh, another giveaway leads to a, a Castellan, uh, Castellanos goal, and then uh, two minutes later, it, I think there's another giveaway at the halfway line. This halfway line disposition, uh, the disposition that becomes a one-two. <laughs> well, I think it's so, becoming a disposition for Minnesota as well. It's becoming a disposition. You you um you see MLS teams, I think, really fall uh, prey to this recently because of the speed at which a defense could become overwhelmed that like it almost feels like giving up uh like giving up the ball at half time or sorry sorry by the halfway line while the team is moving in the wrong direction can be as dangerous as giving it up in the box sometimes uh, absolutely and i'm glad you raised that point i i mean i put overall this was just not really a great game despite having six goals in it but it's actually yeah. not through poor defense, at least from Minnesota's side. It's the poor defensive midfield. And again, as you're saying, just get, getting dispossessed in the wrong area where your defenders are tracking back, but they've just got a little bit too much to do. And with the right ball played in with precision, there's not really a whole hell of a lot you can do. So this, for me, was um, 
you know, Minnesota's finishing was just pinpoint in this game for the most part. Um, their marking, I think, was a little work, worse than New York City FC's, um, especially in midfield. But this is one where I go... It's interesting because you just would never expect this result last year. Um, so it's notable, but I would say it's also notable because I'm surprised Minnesota wasn't able to just hang on and win this one, which they probably should have done and will be kicking themselves a little bit that they didn't. Absolutely. Um, you, I mean, part of it is just how great Castellanos is and, and how great Ishmael Tajiri Shadi is. Yeah. Um, they they both combined great together, and then uh, Tajiri Shadi scored off the free kick late um, to equalize. Um, I think that against the t- like like this, hey, a point is what I wrote in my notes at that point. Yeah. Um, I have criticized uh, the the New York attack at times for its mercenary quality, um, but if these two players can start working together, they're going to be really terrible, really terrifying uh, to defend against. Yeah, I totally agree. Um. A couple of games that I was expecting a little bit more out of that really just sort of resulted in a bit of uh, a shrug and a sigh was, first of all, LA Galaxy versus Philadelphia. Um, I thought this might be one where Philadelphia could return fortunes in their favor and pick off an incredibly uh, one-dimensional LA Galaxy side. However, my my line for this week was going to be, if you're going to be a one-player team... Make that player Ibrahimovic, um, <laughs> who scores just uh, uh, the kind of goal that only a 6-4 player, especially one with the name Ibrahimovic, can score. He is being marked, but he just climbs the shoulders of the defender to head it home. And then... Especially a 6-4 forward that's not going to collect, collect an offensive foul for uh, climbing up on the shoulders of his defender. True, 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 true. Um, but I, I think it's fair. It's a great play from Ibra. Um, and then somebody subscribed to Penalty Kick Weekly because this is just, <laughs> I mean, I th- the commentator sort of half-heartedly is like, well, I guess his leg, the leg is kind of up on him and sort of kicks at him. Like, this is Ibrahimovic falling into, into two defenders and getting awarded a PK. Um, Sure. Sure. Uh, I think, you know, Vancouver will be more, even, even more aggrieved that the penalty call went against them this week to see something like that called as a penalty. Uh, I don't know if there's another angle of, uh, a ghost player that came in and chopped him down, but sure. Okay. Why not? We've, we've seen players before that are, uh, are so small that it seems like it's hard for them to avoid looking like they're diving because they could like be knocked over by a, a stiff breeze. And we've seen them use this to their benefit on occasion of, of just sort of, you know, being allowing themselves to be easily pushed around. Uh, Ibrahimovic in that penalty and also in his first goal is almost the opposite of that where it's like, he's so huge that he will jump in the air and like either he's going to score or just like he's gonna get buffeted 
by the forces around him because he's so unavoidable. Because he's going to fall. Is gonna foul even him. if you're standing 10 feet away, he's still going to fall into you. And they'll be like, well, I don't think you should be kicking at him like that. <laughs> However, if just in case you think I'm being unfair, the only other note I have to say about this game is so Philadelphia does fight back and start to just run circles around the galaxy. And I'm going to give props to Ibrahimovic, who ends the game by just screaming at his own teammates. He's screaming at them for most of the second half, which we've seen him do. But part of the reason why he's so upset is because his side is so one-dimensional and so weak at times that for the... Basically, after that penalty, everybody stops running, everybody stops tracking back, everybody stops marking, and just seems to sit around and is content to watch Philadelphia, who are able to pull a goal back. So... Credit to Ibrahimovic for ha at least showing up and playing the game, even if he's gifted this penalty. Um, it, w it was nice to see the captain trying to get something out of his teammates where they've just been way too incredibly soft. My prediction here is uh, they're able to safely secure a playoff spot and get knocked out in their first game. Um, LA, uh, or Philadelphia did not get that goal back. Uh, and one of the reasons why... I think that you know they, that that was unfortunate for them that they that they were not able to make it under pressure. Is also one of the reasons why I feel like this is like a bot generated game, like a goal and a PK goal by Zlatan and a red card to Austin Trusty. I feel like you, <laughs> I yeah. feel like if you oh yeah how did I say fed, they didn't score a goal? I don't know why I had that. But they were close. They you know they had they did have pressure. Sorry, uh, I gave the Trusty, I gave a ghost goal because I just thought it was fair. Trusty, and if you look at where, uh, if you look at how their possession went until that happened, they didn't have a lot of the, the they they had some of the best of the possession in the, that second half until before they got that red card, on um, just a reckless challenge that added to the, the you know there's no way of arguing that it's not a second yellow, uh, but it does feel like if you if you uh, you know if you put these two teams, the scripts of these two teams last 20 games into uh, into a bot, this is the game they would have come up with. All right. Well, we got a ton of games to speed through here, but a few that are, I think, are worth mentioning sort of in, truly in highlight mode, is uh, DC3 Colorado 2. Again, another game with a lot of goals, but for me, just sort of a little bit of uh, tit for tat. Not a great showing from DC, but... Ultimately, I think that it's good that Colorado is showing some fight, despite the fact that it's not getting them any points at this moment. Yeah. Um, to be able to come back and at least score a couple of goals. Um, in terms of the retirement, goalkeeper retirement sweepstakes send-off, uh, Tim Howard's losing that battle because, for me, the three goals that he allows, all three are stoppable. Um they're good plays from DC. I think the best goal comes from Acosta is the first one, but after, yeah. after that, Tim Howard needs to be making those saves. So my my advice to Colorado, if they want to be racking up some points, is uh, I forget who they've got in depth, and I think everybody else has too, but it's time to start getting them some games and warming up, because Tim Howard's just not, uh, I think at this point, arguably not the starting goalkeeper with performances like that. The, this, to me, feels like points lost for Colorado. I don't think he's losing his his place by the end of the year. Uh, the tough the tough part of this uh, of this three goal is it you is it the tough part of, of the loss here is that Colorado does scar, score score uh, first with Benny Failhaber being found mm -hmm. on the far post with on eleven minutes. 
But when you concede to DC three times in the space of 10 minutes, it's not going to go well for you. And you look at even that last goal, like um, what's the nice thing is that there's, you know, so much, you know, scoring by committee or, or like, you know, offense by committee. Uh, Lucas Rodriguez in this third goal, he just runs out of triple coverage. Yeah. Like three people, three three people are, it's a three-on-one marking scenario with he had, and he has the ball and he's just like, okay, bye. Yeah. In uh, in I saw I I from a, from a little comment. It's like, am I wrong to think that they that Colorado should be challenging more and getting in with tackles more? Because it kind of I don't want to just sort of look at it as the non-player that thinks, oh well, they didn't defend well. They should just defend better. But I feel like Colorado should have maybe you know, lunged in a little bit more because they're already 3-1 behind. Yeah, it's it's difficult to say. I think Colorado defensively has looked better at times, but I, I agree that, I mean, if you're going to have three players, to not have any of them win the ball seems a little uh, much. It's, again, it's easier to say that watching it than doing it, but there's times where the, the challenges going in just seem a little half-hearted, but I would say the same criticism of DC in this game, that defensively they're just not alive enough and they're going to need to iron that out in order to start stringing together better more favorable results um i switching i also loved uh, i also love that betty failhaber uh like somebody that found the best uh fishing pond uh led kai kamara to the same location hey just come stand by this far post and nobody will remember that you're there yeah and there's one again where he's he's just being watched and Kai Kamara will be like, I'll, I'll have this one, thank you very much. Um, mm-hmm. Winning the retirement send-off sweepstakes of the week for me is Nick Romando, RSL, yeah. gets a valuable three points, beating a an Orlando side that is looks like no Orlando side we've ever seen, um, but just RSL showing that fight that I love so much. I love this goal from Sam Johnson where he falls in the box but just scrambles up to his feet and Orlando are kind of like looking at where he fell, but not looking at the ball. And Sam, jo- uh, Sam Johnson just gets back up and he's like, okay, I'm going to try that again and scores. He has so much time. <laughs> he does have a lot of time, but I still credit him to for like, oh, yeah. where most strikers fall over and they're like looking around for the penalty call. He's clearly like, okay, I tripped. I'm trying this again. And here we go. And, uh, just makes no mistake to blast it at Roe as well, who has very little chance to try to save it. This is like the, the, the beginning minutes of a movie where the mischievous protagonist or supporting character is like trying to get to school, but like <laughs> almost get hit by, gets hit by a bike. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> I also love um, this great late run from Krylak as well, where uh, you see Orlando defending um, but they're marking all the players on the box in the box, and they don't see the towering Krylak just loping down the field, who times his run beautifully to get the second ball and just score the type of goal Demir Krylak is becoming known for, which is the close-range side-footed rocket. One thing, and this this goes with the the comment about um, half a you know dispossessions uh, at the halfway line. Uh, we do give a lot of stick to defense, but. I think we have to give credit to how good attackers in MLS are 
at getting themselves from a not dangerous position to like being able to turn something uh to to turn something the moment that they sort of like have the opportunity to do so. Yeah, I mean somebody should probably be tracking that run of a player like Krylak, but he's he's the one putting the work in, so uh, I'm okay with that goal. Orlando's able to pull one back from a great free kick from Nani, but otherwise this one probably a little bit disappointing for Orlando, but great for RSL. Atlanta. I have in my notes. I have in my notes that Nani's uh, free kick made me do the Jeff Gerstmann blinking face. <laughs> I was just like. What? What? Yeah. This was the this was the free kick where nobody was standing. The Sean John, where I re- referenced Sean Johnson earlier that I meant to that I meant oh, to was just yeah. was just like what? That was a goal. What? You could just do that? Yeah. The decision to score a goal. Um, we saw a few of those in Atlanta. Finally picked up three points. Um, probably not too surprising given the way New England has been playing. Although they've gotten uh, a couple of positive results. Um, mm-hmm. this one, it was great to see Barco get on the board, although that first goal, he's all but walking the ball in again. New England just seems to take mm-hmm. a while to care, to pick up a player, to just be like, well, I wonder what he might do. Um, and just, there's nobody marking him, nobody watching him. It's like only after he scores, they turn around and they're like, oh, look at that guy. What's he mm-hmm. doing here? Despite that, uh, I do think that that the Revs defense um, looked okay to me in this game, in, in other than obviously the goals, but but they were <laughs> able to fend off a, a bit of pressure. Um, but they just don't have anything happening in terms of forward play. It's true, and that in turn puts a lot of pressure on the defenders. Um, we also saw this game really showing how Atlanta, when they're playing well, like we've seen in the past, their movement of the ball and the movement of their players really makes it difficult for teams to necessarily track. And there was an awful lot of free space given at that of just the right ball being hit at the right time. New England getting caught in that midfield transition like you talked about with Toronto. Um, Credit to Andrew Farrell. I think he might have future as a goalkeeper because there's two big saves he makes off the line um, that I thought was (laughs) definitely kept his team in the fight. So while we're criticizing teams that defensively have been a little weak I have to say Andrew Farrell has uh, been putting his work in to show up every time I see Joseph Martinez in a highlight package it looks like he's trying to uh, compose an orchestra by himself yeah absolutely and he was I was surprised that he didn't get his goal I I think he rattled the post a couple of times Um, the Barco's second goal is all him um, he basically takes that ball like a, a frozen free kick, and he is getting closed down from a player as well. So you can blame the defenders on this one for not closing him down quick enough, but the defender's making the right move and does get a foot in and does close down the space. But by then it's too late, and Barco's just made the decision. And I, I just, you know, scoring goals like we've been expecting Barco to score, score but he still had to do it. So pretty, so pretty. I love that. That might have been one of my favorite goals of the week from the top of the box. Um, a lot of people commenting on this. I saw on this the bad grass in Montreal uh, when nothing Columbus. My theory, it, it was the first, uh, I don't know if there was renovations, but it was the first uh, game of the season in that uh, venue. Um, there was a huge storm in Montreal uh, last weekend when I was coming back. Planes were getting canceled, etc. 
And I feel like that um, might have messed with the pitch a little bit. And when you look at it, it's like the all of the non-grass areas, like not, all the non-pitch areas are green. And then the pitch itself is brown. Possibly, maybe, I can't remember if it was snow or rain in Montreal, but it might they might have had to melt some snow. Yeah, well, Montreal, I believe, they, I mean, they started their season on the road to allow the grass to grow back a little bit from Montreal's uh, extended winter, shall we say. So... I get people making comments about it, but it, it's still a good pitch. It held up well. The ball was moving fine. So, sure, it doesn't look great on a TV, but it still it doesn't necessarily mean the quality of the pitch is bad. And certainly, there I didn't pick up anything from the play, either players tripping on chunks or uh, the ball moving across the surface. It really gave any indication it wasn't fit for playing on. So... Um, that, however, might have been one of the more interesting things to happen in this game outside of some great yeah. saves from Evan Bush. Um, maybe, I don't know if I was expecting more out of this game. Um, Columbus, to me, was the, by far the better side with the chances, but Evan Bush just decides he's having a, a clean sheet to start the season at home and just denies them. Yep, uh, Bush has been great. Uh, Montreal with another scrappy performance, you know, three, uh, three games, uh, three games, five points, one goal. Yeah. What and you say? exactly. And if you're, and if you're going to, you know, they, they, to me, the defensive ship seems to have been righted for now. Um, and they can beat one of the best teams in MLS without Piatti. This is a great, great story for Montreal that seems to have just kind of put the the 6 nothing loss behind them and gotten on with business. And, you know, for Columbus, really, they just make one mistake. It's a kind of a, a poor-headed clearance from Josh Williams um, on a strange ball back. Rudy just is in the right place, and he's so quick, pounces immediately and lays the ball off to Neville, who gets his first goal. Um, outside of that, that was really kind of Montreal's only real chance. <laughs> But they finished it. So Montreal, to me, is starting to look like the dark horse this season, although that horse seems to be getting less dark as they continue to put results together. It all depends on whether or not they can, they can start scoring a little more because they definitely have the players to do it. Yeah. Um, fresh off, you know, having a, a huge win that felt like a great drink of water for San Jose, um, they certainly looked brighter here, uh, but they just couldn't get past a Houston Dynamo that was as good as they uh, as they usually are with a 2-1 win. Mm. Yeah. Uh, this one for me, uh, I was actually... There's so much we could say about San Jose, but yes, they look shaky, but I still thought they looked overall miles better than we've seen in the opening three or four games. So, oh yeah, no doubt. I take it with a grain of salt. Houston's playing with incredible depth. I think they've got four or five players missing through injury now. Um, and just this consistent, frightening pace. The big question for Houston is, you know, with the likely departure of Elise in the summer, um, how are they going to replace a player like that who just is so quick, so clinical, and, and just, for me, one of the most exciting strikers in MLS right now? Um and I would argue last year as well. The key is to find somebody that can, you don't necessarily have to find somebody that is as amazing themselves as Elise. You have to find somebody that can work with Mara Minotas. 
because yeah. he can be great, but because he's great, and if you can, you know, replicate some sort of partnership to just like, even if you're, even if the you're, you're not the player that Elise is, uh, if you can keep the Benotis machine running, you're doing your job. Yep, and I. I, I think Houston will be able to find that right combination. They've been very good in scouting players to fit into their system. And I just like that Houston has a system. We've talked about teams yeah. that struggle to find an identity. Houston hasn't necessarily always been successful with it, but I like that they've stuck with the same coach. I like that they've stuck with the same system because when it works, it works incredibly effectively. And I thought San Jose did an okay job of uh, trying to fight back in this one for a team that has struggled defensively, doesn't necessarily have the same pace. I thought overall they did a pretty good job. Um, they got the goal back from Ewell. Martinez answers back with almost exactly the same curling strike. Another sort of nice. mirror image. Um, the posts had a, a bit of an appearance this week for both sides. This one probably yeah. could have been 4-3, uh, if not for some saves from the post. But I... Overall, I'd say maybe not a surprising result, but I actually come out of this one going, it's great to see Houston cons consistently performing. They're exactly where they should be at this point in the season and just need to continue. And for San Jose, I think, yes, they'll be disappointed they weren't able to get a point out of this, but they're starting to move things in the right direction. It's not fixed yet, but, you know, this is a game that really could have gotten away from them and that didn't happen, so... I was confused by this this penalty kick that happened early on, where uh, an attacker kicks it in the the goalkeeper stops it and it bounces right back to the attacker who seemingly can't take the ball, can't take the shot because apparently offside because it's an indirect, it's technically an indirect free kick. I don't know that I've ever seen that before. Maybe maybe I, I'm just not paying attention in every rebound off penalty I see is to a different player. My understanding of this is, and I'm, I, I should have double-checked it, but my understanding is it's not a rebound that makes it an indirect free kick. It's only because it's if it's a rebound off the goalkeeper, then you can't be offside because it's coming from the opposing team. But if it's a rebound off a post, then you're now in an offside position somehow. Now, it's kind of one of those ones that you need to get like your abacus and charts out to do the logic on that one. <laughs> but for some reason in my head, I'm like, okay, I think I understand. And the player himself seems to understand it as well, because he kind of half-heartedly kicks the ball in the net, but seems to know he's offside, so... And does not fight the call. But... Can you put yourself offside? Anyway. Apparently, <laughs> in MLS, all things are possible! LAFC 2 nothing Cincinnati. Um, uh, this is another, like the last game, this is a game where I think there was a lot of firepower, not that many goals. Uh, Mark Anthony K, return of the Mac, M A K, uh, the commentator's note, uh, nodding the ball subtly in off of a corner. Um, and LAFC mostly dined out on that until uh, Vela was able to get a, a, a one on one against Lost, collect a goal on a one on one against uh, Lost. Yeah, I really like Mark Anthony K. That's not news. I just wanted to say it again. That's a that's a phenomenal header. Like he's it going against goal. He's like that is just a great header. No doubt. Um, Spencer Ritchie, man, he's the real deal too. He keeps his team in this one. Has some 
phenomenal saves. I don't think there's much he can do on either goal. Uh, that's it for MLS. Uh, it was the, the opening weekend uh, last weekend for NWSL. Uh, Portland Thorns, I got to see uh, a bit of their opening win. Caitlin Ford uh, picked up the first goal with an assist from Tobin Heath and then uh, fed back in the other direction uh, in the second half um, for a, a 2 nothing win to start. Uh, and uh, you saw a couple more Canadians. Nichelle Prince scored in a 1-1 draw between Houston and Seattle. Steph Labbe started uh, for North Carolina in a 1-1 draw with Chicago in the Washington Spirit. Uh, opened the whole year with a 2 nothing win over Sky Blue, who had Kaelin Sheridan in goal. Love it. I gotta. I, I admit I've not been paying attention to NWSL, and I've I've been meaning to, and I feel aggrieved that I've not, because uh, that's something that I want to make sure that we're covering a little bit more this season. And you've always been a great supporter and somebody that's brought that to the show, but I've been remiss in, in not checking in as well and keeping up to date with that. No time to start like the present. And for our Canadian listeners, uh, for our American listeners, you can see the games on Yahoo Sports. For the Canadian listeners, if you go to nwslsoccer.com, um, all the games stream for free on their website. Awesome. Uh, in uh, Between now and the second week, of the NWSL. Where can we find you online? You can find me online talking about the amazing talents of Ibrahimovic at That's So MLS on Twitter and the Instagram. Where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Team Bates, www.team-bates.com. I am an editor at Howler Magazine, whatahowler.com. You can find this podcast at That's So MLS.com. Uh, and you can find us at uh, on Apple Podcasts and all places where great podcasts are found, please rate, review, and subscribe. Please do that. And until that time, if you find yourself, like, say you're a guy, and it's the 93rd <laughs> minute, and another guy doesn't get the ball to you. This is a hypothetical player. This could be anybody. This could be anybody. This could be anybody. But just say you're that guy. Don't kick a ball into the crowd and get yourself sent off. Oh, that's great advice. Just try to resist that urge in the 93rd minute.